Dr. Rebecca Bernard, and this is Patients at Risk, a discussion of the dangers that patients face when physicians are replaced by non-physician practitioners. I'm joined today by my co-host and the co-author of our book, Patients at Risk, The Rise of the Nurse Practitioner and Physician Assistant in Healthcare, Dr. Naran Al-Ajba. Hey, good evening. Across the country, physicians are being replaced by nurse practitioners and physician assistants, often by corporations seeking an increase in profits. Physicians who dare to speak out, even to simply educate patients about the difference between the professions, are being fired. We are joined today by a physician who experienced this exact situation. Dr. Stephen Marin is a pediatrician with 32 years of experience. In 2018, he was fired from his job at a federally qualified health center treating underserved children because of an editorial that he wrote to his local newspaper, simply explaining the differences in training between a nurse practitioner and a physician. Steve, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. Very pleased to be here. Steve, I have to tell you that your story was one of the reasons that I decided to write a book about this transformation in healthcare. When I learned that children in desperate need of healthcare were being deprived of an experienced pediatrician simply because of a political agenda, I knew that this story had to be told. Can you fill our audience in on the backstory? Absolutely. Uh, well, I'm a graduate of uh, Tel Aviv University. Uh, Medical school. The official name is Sackler. I hesitate to use that because of the somewhat negative connotations. Now, however, I hasten to add that that was an older generation of Sacklers that set up my med school. Uh, After that, I trained in pediatrics in the U.S. And I've uh, done a number of uh, different gigs uh, throughout my career. I have had my own uh, private practice. I've been in a number of uh, employee physician uh, employee physician positions, and uh, I've throughout my career worked with nurse practitioners. Uh, never had a problem. Uh, very positive interactions with them, going both ways. Uh, at times, I would consult uh, the nurse practitioners on certain matters where they had more expertise than me, and they would consult me, take a look at this rash on this kid, or what should I do uh, in this particular situation? Uh, My most uh, recent position, the position which led to my firing, was uh, at a um, uh, federally qualified community health center, uh, United Community Health Center in Green Valley, Arizona. Um, And uh, There, I worked with nurse practitioners, uh, really, without a hitch. I also precepted nurse practitioners. My first inkling of a possible problem uh, was when I asked to see patients who the nurse practitioners had seen in follow-up. Those who had slightly more complicated problems, and I would tell the particular nurse practitioner, well, you know what, let me see this patient in follow-up because I really have to go through the chart, do a little careful uh, reviewing, uh, review the medical topic, uh, perhaps, and the parents are probably going to be okay with it. Just make sure they are okay with it. Well, I got a visit following that from the CEO of the organization who told me, uh, 
listen, uh, this practice of yours is, uh, is uh, ruffling some feathers. Uh, it's, it's disrespectful, which really surprised me. Uh, wow. You know, and, well, why, why disrespectful? Where's the disrespect? Well, it appears that you're, you're doubting their ability, uh, you know, to uh, treat these patients. I explained I just want to do things conscientiously and properly, and that's the way I've always practiced medicine. Wow. So well, the, uh, the company was not excited about you just simply following up and making sure that patients were being kept safe because they just didn't like the optics of it. Yeah. yeah. And that was just the beginning. You know, after that, I started noticing that patients that I had uh, uh, collaborated upon with hospitalists in the hospital uh, to manage uh, were being followed up by one of the nurse practitioners. Uh, they were often uh, quite complicated. Uh, but this particular nurse practitioner was very intelligent. She was very well thought of, and she had a very loyal following. So even though I had been involved and had been speaking to the parents while the child was in the hospital, they really wanted to follow up with their nurse practitioner. So I would uh, present to this nurse practitioner and uh, tell her what was going on and give her really a formal presentation. But I was a little concerned because um, a lot of these cases were actually pretty complicated. And I, I thought uh, she didn't quite have the background to, to manage them properly. Right. You were, and, and you were trying to make sure that the kids were, were kept safe. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, so I would do that presentation, but still I wasn't entirely sure that she is the one who should be seeing them in follow up. Meantime, they were stacking my schedule with well visits, well babies. I love to do well baby visits, but that's not really good utilization of your uh, available resources. You know, you, you have the, pediatrician doing well visits, and you've got the nurse practitioner seeing all the complex medical cases. So I, I wrote an email to the uh, management, and the response to this was inviting me, quote unquote, to a lunch and uh, speaking to me uh, quite clearly about uh, how, uh, you know, we all have to get along here and uh, why do you, you know, think? Why do you think, Steve, that you were um, being stacked with well childs? Because it would just seem like a, a clinic decision. It would make sense to have the non physicians see well childs and more routine yeah. visits. And I think that's yeah. often how pediatric nurse practitioners are trained. Yeah. So why do you think that difference was occurring? Why it was explained to me that uh, it's the parents' choice, and okay. uh, you, you know the parents want to follow up with this nurse practitioner. It's their choice. They have no say in the matter. So that's, that's the way the matter was settled. Now, uh, following this was the whole uh, issue with the, uh, with the article that appeared in the yeah, local paper. So, Steve, if you don't mind, I'd like to kind of fill the audience in a little bit, give them a little bit of background. On sure. January 3rd, 2018, your local newspaper, the Saharita Sun, if I'm saying that right, uh, published an article, and it was called The Doctor's Not In, These Two Will Be. And it was an article featuring two area residents who were nurses pursuing a doctorate degree at the local nursing school. So just to read a few uh, clips from the article, 
uh, quote, going to see your family doctor for basic needs may soon be a thing of the past. Joan Shaver, a professor and dean at the University of Arizona's College of Nursing, predicts most people will eventually rely on nurse practitioners for their primary care needs. They'll assess for disease, treat common ailments, and help people manage their stable chronic conditions. Nurse practitioners are registered nurses with a doctorate of nursing practice. They are licensed to evaluate and diagnose patients, order tests, and prescribe medications. In Arizona and 22 other states, they can work without having to consult with a doctor. The article interviewed two NP students, and one of them was a person by the name of John Sparks. At the time of the interview, he had been a nurse for three years, but he was scheduled to graduate with two doctorate degrees in nursing the very next year. And in the article, he said, nurses tend to focus on the whole person, not just the disease. NPs spend more time with patients and are trained to listen to the wishes and desires of the patients. And the article also reported that he said that most Arizonans are already used to the idea of nurse practitioners, and he didn't think that people will complain if they take the place of primary care doctors. And after all, he and his family had been seeing nurse practitioners themselves for years. So, Steve, tell us what your thoughts were when you saw this article in your local newspaper. Well, um, my immediate um, response was, this is not quite right. <laughs> this is not correct. And uh, I wrote a very carefully worded uh, response to the online version of this uh, article that had appeared. The editor of the newspaper uh, saw my response. He knew me because I had written medical columns for the newspaper. And he said, hey, Steve, why don't you write a, an op-ed? Which you did, so and and it was a, a beautiful op-ed, and I'd that like to read. Well yeah, I'd like to read a little bit from it. Uh, it was actually quite complimentary to nurse practitioners. You began the article by saying, "quote I am a practicing pediatrician in the community. In the course of my job, I frequently encounter nurse practitioners. I have found them on the whole to be well trained, dedicated, popular with patients, and intelligent." But then you go on to explain your concerns, saying, quote, I am, however, quite concerned about the implications that NPs completely replace physicians. It was never the intent when NP programs were begun to replace physicians, but to function as supervised physician extenders. There is a clear trend in place to not only regard NPs as fully qualified and able to replace physician generalists, but also specialists. And you talk about your experiences in the article referring patients to specialists only to have them seen by a nurse practitioner. And sometimes patients weren't even aware that they were seeing an NP and not a physician. Can you tell us more about that? Well, uh, you know, I just very clearly saw a difference in style um, that they were clearly not physician specialists. Uh, a physician specialist, a, a really successful consultation is a collaborative effort. There is communication, and the communication goes both ways. And I've, I've seen that. You know, this isn't just a matter of signing off on a patient and sending to someone smarter than you, okay? It, it really does go both ways. Um, I have, uh, on many occasions, uh, challenged what the specialist is telling me, and nicely, and uh, we've gone back and forth and arrived at the, the correct management of the patient. My impression of uh, what the uh, nurse uh, uh, working in a specialist office was doing is really following a protocol. 
Um, you know, it's, uh, when we encounter the abdominal pain, this is what we do. And I wasn't really impressed that uh, they had uh, really considered uh, the specific things that I had written in the consultation requests. My consultation requests tend to be very detailed and very specific. Uh, I didn't see that these were reviewed. I, I saw a lot of things that were redone that had already been redone. And, and it, it just, it really wasn't an effective consultation. Uh, plus, um, uh, you know, there, there was a, a lack of transparency as to who the person was. Um, as, as you and uh, Niran have uh, pointed out as, as kind of a major problem. Uh, you, you talk about in your, in your uh, op-ed that the training of nurses is different from the training of physicians. And one of your quotes yes. was, the core of nursing training has traditionally been patient care, which means implementing a treatment plan. The main purpose of physician training is understanding illness and, of course, wellness and being able to diagnose and formulate a treatment plan. Both of these are equally important in achieving the goal of helping our patients get better, but they are still different. Can you elaborate on some of the differences in training between the professions? Yes. Well, uh, you know, we, we go to medical school. Uh, we learn the diagnostic uh, process, and we leave medical school thinking we know everything, and then we start residency, and then we find out, oh, we don't know everything. And, and you learn a whole lot dur during residency. Uh, nursing is really based on... Uh, that the emphasis on nursing and nursing is a very noble profession. It's a very difficult profession. They are saddled with the logistics of how these things happen. You know, the doctor just has to write the orders, but how are 30 patients on the ward going to get all this uh, treatment uh, without mistakes? That's the nurse's job. The nurse figures that out. That's why uh, management uh, uh, is, uh, to a great degree, uh, is nurses are very, very represented uh, within management of hospitals uh, for that reason. Um, you know, Naran, you've talked a lot in the book about the difference in training and mostly the ability to learn how to form a differential diagnosis. Do you want to share a little bit about that? Well, you know, I think that's probably, in a nutshell, the biggest difference. Um, and, and we talk about this a lot, uh, that you'll send someone with a set of symptoms or whatever it is, sometimes even a diagnosis. And what I find fascinating is I don't see that same discussion, even in the notes. So I'm, like Steve, a pediatrician. And I find at Seattle Children's Hospital, for example, um, and it's happening around a lot of hospitals uh, throughout the country, there are a number of non-physicians that are, that are treating our referrals for specialty care. And what I find fascinating is I'll send someone and the standard treatment is to remove whatever the thing is surgically. And, and maybe let's say ortho. And I end up calling the head of the orthopedic department and saying, I, I wrote in the note, this is a problem. This is what they're complaining of. This is what we need to do what happened? You know, they, they saw someone who's not a surgeon, not a PA, or, or I'm sorry, not a physician, so a PA or a nurse practitioner. And then they just sort of patted them on the head and sent them out the door, like, come back later if there's a problem. And I, I always think, you know, that costs money, that costs patient time, it's travel. And it's almost like that whole step of differential diagnosis, just it doesn't happen. It's simply 
it's this, which is of course what I already put on the referral and we don't need to do anything. And I always think, wow, I, you know, this exact scenario happened to me on Friday. I referred a patient to a urologist because of an elevated PSA or prostate antigen. And I had already rechecked it actually twice and it was going up. I sent him to the urologist. We confirmed that the appointment would be with the physician. The patient comes back to my office a few hours after the appointment and tells me with a lab slip for a PSA. And I said, well, what is, what is this? I are, you, I've already repeated the test. I come to find out that the patient was seen by a PA who, who ordered another PSA and ordered a, a cystoscopy, an unrelated test. I picked up the phone, called the PA and said, you know, what's going on? And they said, oh, I didn't get the, I didn't see that they had already had the PSA done. And so in other words, this patient who has no insurance, by the way, is now has to pay another office visit and go through all this rigmarole and was scheduled with finally with the, with the urologist for a month later. But what a waste of time and resources for them to have to go through that and it's it's unfair to our patients yeah I think mm-hmm. I completely agree and it really makes you when you're sending to a specialist be concerned that the patient isn't really getting what they need right so Steve you wrote this very nicely worded op-ed but it was just speaking the truth tell us what happened next well <laughs> about uh, two or three days later uh, I was called on my day off by the secretary of the CEO uh, Dr. Rodolfo Jimenez, uh, who said, uh, Dr. Jimenez, uh, yeah, we'll use his name. Uh, Dr. Jimenez uh, wants to see you. Uh, It's very important. She wouldn't tell me why. And uh, so I was summoned. Uh, They asked me to wait in the uh, boardroom where we have uh, many uh, staff meetings. And I just sat there uh, on my own. Uh, Eventually, uh, Jimenez... uh, uh, walked in uh, with the uh, with the uh, what do you call them now human resources person and uh, with a big smile on his face he said uh, unfortunately I have to do something that I in my job that I regret doing and he hands me a, a letter and he says uh, uh, here here is your termination letter wow okay. I may not be recalling the the words exactly because it was a little traumatic, but, you must have been but that was a that Wait, was the had, gist of it. And I had, said yes, yes. And I said, uh, "Is this is this about the article I wrote?" <laughs> and and he said, uh, "Yes, yes. Wow. The, you you violated all the principles of our organization. I don't know where he pulled that out of, and specifically." the principle of mutual respect. And you had worked there for 10 years with no disciplinary actions in a underserved clinic where children desperately need medical care. And yet this is, this was the response to really probably the nicest criticism letter I've ever read. And uh, just to add, not to toot my own horn too much, but you know, I had volunteered to work on Saturdays. So uh, our patients didn't have to go to the ER. I volunteered to work evenings. You know, and, he, and he had actually appeared once in a radio interview with me. So the same Dr. Jimenez who ultimately fired me who, uh, said what a great employee I was. You know, so, it's, it's so interesting. What a, what a great provider. Yes, was, of course. Which is, a, which is, yes, which is a term provider. we all like, I know. But. Right. 
What I think is so interesting is I want to read uh, just a few more lines from your op-ed just to show the listeners how delicately and nicely you wrote this. You wrote, quote, it was certainly not my intention in writing this to show any disrespect to nurse practitioners. There is no question that they are an important community resource for health education. They are a great asset in managing the complex health needs of patients with ongoing chronic illness who often have to navigate a complex system to address their needs. Some of them can teach some of us physicians a thing or two about bedside manner. This is truly an extension of the noble nursing profession. I mean, you just don't get nicer than that. And yet you were told that you have offended the value of respect correct <laughs> that's what I was told yeah yeah I still haven't totally gotten over it you know now uh, happily I'm continuously employed you know for a while I was doing locum gigs uh, which I enjoyed because I was appreciated and it's important to be appreciated too it is and you know what I also wonder about is I mean obviously we it seems to me that this was a political firing. And when I go on to the website of United Community Health Center, what I see is that there are twice as many non-physician practitioners as physicians that are employed, just like in many federally qualified health centers across the country. Part of that is because of federal funding that requires at least 50% of staff be non-physician practitioners for them to receive funding. But But United actually has far more than they're even required to, I believe. Uh, I mean, if patients start demanding a doctor as you, not demanding, but asking about, should I be seeing a doctor, that could affect their entire staffing model. Yes. And and there are uh, clinics that are taking that to even further extremes. Uh, when I was uh, seeking employment in the Tucson area, there was one clinic, I won't name, name it, but uh, they are hiring exclusively nurse practitioners now. They won't even talk to you if you're a physician. So patients have lost the opportunity, especially these underserved patients of of lower socioeconomic means. They can't even see a doctor even if they want to. Correct. I think that's what um, Rebecca kept us going through writing the book as well. And our our goal was that we wanted all patients to have the opportunity to choose who they want to take care of them. And I, I know many good nurse practitioners and if, and when patients choose nurse practitioners, I think that's wonderful. Um, and I, I think information and if, you know, we talk about informed choice so often and so much of what we do in medicine. And so I think this is a real important part of this. And I don't think necessarily people always understand um, or that it's transparent what the education is of your um, clinician. So, Steve, what happened next after you were, I guess you had to pack your things and leave immediately, it sounds like. Uh, it was that kind I of... Was, I was pretty much given the bones rush out of the building. Yep. And and I was given what you might call a tin parachute of three months' pay. Ah. And, and that was it. Okay? Did you hear and, anything and from community members afterwards? I did. I got, uh, you know, on Facebook, I got... Uh, a lot of people, a lot of local response, you know, what happened all of a sudden? Dr. Marin disappeared. He was so great. You know, our kids liked him, you know, what happened? So it, it uh, you know, it, it was, it was nice in a way with a little consoling to see that I had made an impact and uh, people liked me and were missing me. And you know what? I'm still in touch with some of the mothers and they say, Oh, Dr. Marin, we miss you. I'm sure they do. I'm yeah. sure they do. 
So in your organization that you work in now, is, is it a better fit for you? Are you able to work in a more collaborative way with non-physician practitioners? Uh, I'm, I'm going to be a little careful about talking about my present employment because I, I want to keep it. Yes, understood. <laughs> okay. So, so uh, you know, I, I can tell you uh, I have had some interaction with nurse practitioners and it was very positive. Great. And actually, actually, I was able to do like a, a virtual visit with a patient who I was very concerned about. Uh, and the nurse practitioners were at the uh, urgent care. And uh, I had arranged ahead of time, you know, could you guys just give me a FaceTime uh, during that visit so I could take a look at the patient and we could talk a little bit about the patient. And they were fine with it. No problem. And, and there was, you know, no no, no egos were involved here. Not and I think mine, that's how good, a... that's how many good <laughs> nurse practitioners are. And there are so many, it's, it's just, and the reason we have to talk about this is the ones, there are some that don't understand, especially those going through online programs. And, you know, I think pediatrics is the area that is, we, we worry about so much because I know I'm a family doctor. And so I have some pediatric training, but not as much as you guys do as pediatricians. And one of the challenges in family medicine residency is having the opportunity to see enough really really sick children to get confident in your skills. And if, if that was a struggle for me going through, you know, many thousands of hours, I don't know how a nurse practitioner in pediatrics can be expected to, to gain that experience. I believe that the minimum number of hours is like 500 clinical hours. I know that's for family, but I think also it is for pediatric nurse practitioners. And I just don't know how you see enough sick kids to at least recognize those warning signs so that you know that you need to get help. You don't. You don't get enough experience. You and uh, Niran have pointed out that especially in dermatology, they really wing it, you know? Mm. Basically, dermatology, you just look at something and whatever pops into your head at the moment, that's the diagnosis. Well, that's, you know, that's, that's dermatology. That is the challenge. You know, Niran and I, in our book, we tell a story of a young girl named Maya Louise who was, I think she was 10 years old. She uh, developed sudden abdominal pain and vomiting, and her parents took her into a clinic. She saw a nurse practitioner who diagnosed her with a urinary tract infection, even though the child could barely walk down the hall. Uh, the child later died that same night of appendicitis. And at the inquest, the nurse practitioner said that she was confident in her diagnosis. And the problem is that it had never occurred to her to consider appendicitis. And in fact, she actually had access to a physician, but it didn't occur to her to ask for help because she didn't, she didn't realize how serious the situation was. And I think that's mm -hmm. why you have to see a lot of bad cases so that you realize what can go wrong and what bad even looks like. You know, yeah. Steve, um, whenever someone says they're confident about a diagnosis in pediatrics, um, I usually kind of laugh because I'm rarely confident of my diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean that I don't know my diagnosis, but, I, but I'm always afraid of what's lurking out there in the shadows that I didn't think of. And I was just wondering if you feel the same way after, you know, decades in pediatrics. I do. I, I really know when I'm over my head mm -hmm. and I ask for help frequently. And uh, I call up specialists frequently. Um, I, I think, unfortunately, uh, there is a lot of mediocre medicine out there. And uh, as you and uh, Rebecca have pointed out, uh, 
there are a lot of good nurse practitioners. Nurse practitioners did not invent mediocre medicine. Physicians invented mediocre medicine. Correct. Uh, and, and which is that quick glance, whatever happens to pop into your head at the moment, you know, just stack those patients, have 10 examining rooms zip from one to the other. You know, some of us like to really think about the patients and really do the right thing. And I think and, a lot of that comes from, is about, yeah. it comes from a broken system, too, that rewards high volume, quick care and quick fixes. And that's not the way that medicine should be practiced. And I think mm -hmm. I don't think most doctors start out wanting to be mediocre, but I think they the burnout quickly ensues and you just start to feel like a cog in the machine. And that is not conducive to practicing high quality medical care. And, and my point, I, I was trying to make it, is, is that uh, nurse practitioners are really, in their education, they're modeling that mediocre model. Right. It's, it's all about, you know, what's the first thing that pops into your head? Okay, order those tests, you know? It, uh, you know, it looks like an, maybe an x-ray, maybe let's try steroids, let's try antibiotics, you know? I think what you're trying to say is there's no, there's no scaffolding on which to build the picture. And, and I think um, that's why I think uh, ICU nurse or nurse practitioners with ICU experience are really excellent because they have a scaffolding. You know, they've seen system management. They've seen differentials. They've stood at the bedside and, and, and observed that kind of evaluation where doctors really don't always know the answers. And I think that's where medicine, you know, you were talking about what medicine is about. Medicine is about the search for easing suffering, bringing comfort, um, helping patients, educating them. You know, it's this search for that. And, and many of us do search on a daily basis. And I think um, maybe those who don't have nursing experience when they go to school, that's why I think I'm so concerned about these diploma mills. I think it does look like, hey, let's just pick something out of, my, out of the top of my head. Whereas nurses with real bedside clinical experience, I think very much understand um, this larger picture um, that's necessary. So, I mean, I, I agree with you that there's definitely this element of, of that quick fix that, that, or a shortcut actually is um, the way I look at it, a shortcut to a career. Steve, I want to thank you so much for joining us, for your bravery in speaking out, um, and actually for really being probably the inspiration for me for getting started on this book, because really when I heard your story, I was truly devastated to think that someone that was as committed to patient care as you would be let go from a job uh, just for speaking the truth. And that's when I realized that we have real serious problems and that the only way that it's going to change is if we get the word out to as many people as possible so that they demand change. So, well, well you, you and Rebecca, are, 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 you and Niran are, are trailblazers. Uh, this is a topic that has been under the rug for too long, and it's going to be very visible in a very short time because uh, you're bestsellers. Well, thank you. And thank you for the plug. So we'll remind everyone to please get our book. It is called Patients at Risk, The Rise of the Nurse Practitioner and Physician Assistant in Healthcare. It's available at barnesandnoble.com and also on Amazon Kindle. And if you're a physician and you'd like to learn more about spreading the word about physician-led care, uh, we invite you to join us at physiciansforpatientprotection.org uh, where you can learn more about these issues. Uh, thank you all so much and we'll catch up with you on the next podcast.